Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Allah, in His mercy, sent 124,000 prophets into the world in order for man to understand himself. And in understanding himself, he would become closer to understanding his Lord. In order for us to begin to know ourselves, we must look at the lives of the prophets and understand what differentiates us from them. How are they different than the way we are? And what can we do to become less different than they are? They came for our salvation. They came to teach us the truth. They came to show us the way toward our Creator. They came to show us the way toward our Lord. And what is that way? How do we enter that path? And how do we sustain going forward on that path? There are many stories about the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, which indicate his mercy and his kindness and the nature of what he was like. Some that I remember are when <clears throat> he had a confrontational neighbor who disliked him who threw thorns on his path every morning, so it would be difficult for him. One morning, when the thorns were missing, he asked, Is she okay? An Arab came to the Prophet, who was disturbed by the machinations between Mecca and Medina, <coughs> when Mecca was attacking Medina, and the Prophet was living in Medina, and he said to the Prophet, um, you should curse all of the people in Medina and cause them difficulty. And the Prophet replied, I did not come into this world as a curse. I came into this world as a mercy. The Prophet was in a town called Taib, and he preached, and people threw stones at him. And the angels came to protect him and said, Give the word, and we will annihilate these people. 
And the prophet said, their descendants will be my followers. Have mercy on them. It is for us to understand the nature of mercy. It is for us to understand the wellspring of mercy that came from the actions and the intentions of the prophets and that they came with loving kindness on behalf of humanity with the intention to bring loving kindness into the hearts of humanity. And if you look at their actions in relationship to the ones who were cruel to them, they're sort of contraindicative of the way you would expect things to occur. People came at them with harshness and they came back with mercy. People came with them with hardness and they always came back with forgiveness. Can we enter into that state where forgiveness is at the forefront of who we are? Where compassion is at the forefront of who we are? Where our ability to see people with inappropriate qualities as having diseases of the heart as opposed to being inherently cruel and deserving some kind of uh, retribution. Can we handle those who try to annihilate us? And what are the lines and where do you draw them and how do you go about that? Imagine a world of kindness. Imagine a world of humility where people act towards each other in a merciful way. Well, that imagination should be shifted from the world to yourself. Don't imagine the world. Imagine yourself. Don't figure out what everybody else should do. Figure out what you should do, what we should do, what we individually should do. Imagining the world is, in a way, a cop-out for doing the work that we individually have to do, because we are the world. Each of us is the world. And the Quran says, if you save one life, you have saved the entire universe. Uh, I was walking in the mosque in Medina, and I had on uh, an outfit that somebody in America had made for me. And... uh, it was an outfit that kind of stood out a little bit. And uh, a man walks up to me 
and uh, starts speaking to me in Arabic. And obviously I don't speak Arabic. And he asked me where I was from. And I told him I was from America. And I didn't speak Arabic. And he said, then Allah must love you very much to put you among us. And he asked me what I was doing there, and I indicated I had, I was taking a group of people from the U.S. Uh, on uh, Umrah, which is the small pilgrimage. And he immediately told me that he wanted me, int- he wanted to introduce me to uh, some Hafiz. Hafiz is somebody who has um, learned how to recite the entire Quran. So he took me to Hafiz, he told him my story, and the man looked at me, and he recited a line from the Quran. And the translation was that if you save one person, you've saved the entire universe. He took me to another Hafiz, told him the story. I got the same line again. If you save one person, you have saved the entire universe. He took me to a third Hafiz, and the same thing happened again. Then he said, I'm going to take you now to a group where they're teaching people how to recite the Quran. And they go through a little portion of the Quran every morning. And uh, they teach the people in the circle the appropriate uh, inflections in the recitation. And as we sat down, the line that they were reciting at that moment from the Quran was... If you save one person, you have saved the entire universe. And I understood for myself that this wasn't a coincidence. And the guy who was taking me around also understood that this wasn't a coincidence. But when the question comes, who's this one person you're supposed to save? Well, we are that one person we're supposed to save. We can't do anything for anybody else until we have done it for ourselves. And all we're going to do for anybody else, and you should know this, is the same thing you've done for yourself. So the extent of which you can assist others is a function of the extent of which you've assisted yourself. The extent that you can change somebody else is a function of How have you changed? You can only give out what you are. You can't give out beyond that. Bawa used to say, if you look to a snake, all the snake is going to be able to give you is venom. If we have venom, then that's what we're going to put out into the world. If we have mercy then that's what we're going to put out into the world. The Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, was the great, merciful, and compassionate one who gave out mercy and compassion as he walked, who gave out the truth as he walked. It was who he was. When Aisha, Aisha, his wife, was asked to describe him. She said he was a walking Quran. Well, what does that mean? The Quran is divine. It is divine words. 
the Prophet, as he walked, gave out divine words. His words became hadith, the understanding of how to do things which are second only to the Quran in their importance in who we become and who we are. We should be in a constant state of reflection as to who we are and our nature. Our nature is something that we can change. We can go from being a bear to being a human. We can go from being a snake to being a human. We can go from the animal world into being humans. And this is what we're essentially supposed to do. In each of us, there is an animal world. There is the animal qualities. And they try to become that which is at the forefront of our consciousness. We need to be able to suppress them, our lower self, and keep them low. And allow the higher self to be the self that controls us. This is the struggle for humanity. And this is the jihad that the Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, came to explain to the world. Jihad is an internal struggle. Jihad is the struggle between the animal self and the divine self. And it is within that struggle that who we are becomes manifest. If we surrender to the animals, we become the animals. If we have the courage to fight what they intend, then we can become more and more divine. And you should know that you are meant to be divine. You are meant to be in God's name. You are meant to be merciful and compassionate, Rahman and Rahim. You are meant to be God's names. Not only are these names used as names for humans, they're used to inspire humans into the higher levels of being. And it is within that understanding that these higher levels of being exist and that they are open to us that we should get our inspiration to move forward into those levels of being. Who are we really? And how do we discover who we are? We discover who we are by erasing all of that which is not us and with which we falsely identify as ourselves. And what is the key to doing that? What is the key to understanding who we are not and who we are? Every once in a while, 
it's absolutely necessary to bring back into our life the first kalima and the understanding of the first kalima. La ilaha illallah. La ilaha illallah. I do not exist. Only Allah exists. So what part of me doesn't exist? Every part of me doesn't exist that is not like Allah. The entirety of me that is not like Allah doesn't exist. And it's within that non-existence that we find the glory of the divine. Because everything that exists other than the divine becomes a veil that covers the divine and separates us from truth and reality. So if we don't do it now, we should begin to do it and do it regularly, which is to do the meditation, La ilaha illallah, La ilaha illallah, out with the left breath, La ilaha, I do not exist, and in with the right breath, illallah, only God exists. It's within this understanding that the root of the Sufi understanding exists. And this Sufi understanding exists with all religions. It doesn't matter what cloak that understanding is dressed in. It matters that at the essence, that's the understanding that we have, and that's the understanding that we strive for. Um, There are lots of stories of beggars and kings. And the beggar having his two cents and the king having his kingdom. And the question comes up, is it more difficult for the beggar to give up his two cents or is it more difficult for the king to give up his kingdom? Well, they both have their own fortunes in their own way and in God's justice he expects the same thing of everybody everything so if you have two cents you have to give that up if you have a kingdom you have to give that up so is life easier for the beggar or for the king is that which expected of the beggar or the king more difficult well it depends Some kings have no trouble being detached from their kingdom. Some beggars hold on to their two pennies as if it were a kingdom. Who are we? And where are we on that spectrum? Uh, How have we been placed on that spectrum? And how aware are we of our place in in that spectrum of surrender towards the divine? What do we do to separate ourselves from that which is not divine? The, the monks go to the monasteries to live in caves, to separate themselves 
from all of the glitters of the world. Uh, does it help? Does it help going to a monastery? Can you separate yourself from yourself by walking into another place? Or are you always bringing yourself with you? Whether you go to a monastery or whether you go to a brothel, you're still with yourself. And the question is, what can you do to relieve yourself of that worldly self that has taken a lifetime to create and that we've fallen in love with and that as we begin to remove it we grieve over its passing as we would grieve over the passing of a life well we have to be able to go through that period of grief to be rid of ourselves we need to go through that period of reliving our memories and reliving all the things that we've done that were so monumental in our existence and understand that they have no real moment. They've passed. Yet, for many of us, they make up who we think we are. Uh, when we sit with strangers and we begin to talk, what do we talk about? Do we talk about the glory of God or do we talk about what we did in high school and college and our profession and how much money we made and the things we bought? What becomes our reality of existence? If our existence is tied to the world, we're tied to the world. If our existence is tied to the understanding of the grace and the glory and the grandeur of God, then our existence is tied to the grace and the glory and the grandeur of God. There is a longing in us, and that longing wants to be satisfied. Now, the question is, what is that longing for? Is that longing for money? Is that longing for fame? Is that longing for power, or is that longing for mercy and compassion? The interesting thing about mercy and compassion, as opposed to the power of the world, is that from the worldly point of view, mercy and compassion seem weak. But in reality, mercy and compassion are the attributes of the king who has all of the real power. The power that the world has is a fiction. It's an illusion. And the true power is in mercy and compassion. And mercy and compassion can overwhelm any power in the world, can overwhelm any king in the world, can overwhelm any army in the world. They fall in awe in front of the Rahman and Rahim of our Lord. They can't abide the Rahman and Rahim of our Lord. Their weapons melt in their hands. 
This is the true power in existence. Yet, the world believes that we are somehow protected by our armies and our diplomats. They somehow believe that our bombs and our airplanes somehow protect us. The truth is that all that protects us is Allah's intention for us to be protected. Allah's mercy that is given towards us. And what do we have to do in order to obtain that mercy? In order to be the ones who are entitled to that mercy? What we have to do is be merciful unto others. And then Allah is merciful unto us. We have to understand that there is a reciprocity in existence. As we give to the world, as we give to humanity, Allah gives to us. So, in each situation that we come into, we have to make that choice. If we want from Allah, we have to give to the world. If we want from Allah, we're going to get that which we give to the world. Um, I once asked uh, my Sheikh, Baal Muhayyadeen, if there is a chosen people. And he said, yes, there is a chosen people. And he it's a two-hour discourse, which I'm going to bring down to a few seconds. But he said, the ones who are chosen are the ones who choose Allah. Now, we, now, we, we should be able to understand that this is not a one-time choice. Because every day when we wake up, we start over. And we have to make that choice again. And how do we choose Allah. When we are confronted, how do we react? The way we react is either choosing Allah or not choosing Allah. Jesus said, turn the other cheek. So when we're confronted, do we throw stones or do we turn the other cheek? Are we capable of of accepting or allowing the blame of the world to come to us without our bearing the scars of that. If we bear the scars, that means that our egocentric self is so large that it can't avoid that which is being thrown at us. We take it very personally. But if we understand things in a divine realm, People are constantly not believing in God. And people are constantly throwing things at God. Does it matter? He has control over everything. And if we are with Him, we are given that ability to go on and exist and live within His realm as opposed to the realm of the world. If you choose to live in the realm of the world, then you choose to take on all of the difficulties of the world. You are living in the world of praise and blame. You are living in the world of up and down and constant conflict. If you live in the world of Allah, if you live in Haq, conflict 
goes away and reality enters the equation. And there is no effect on your eternal being by that which the world does because the world can't touch Allah. The world can't have an effect on Allah. Allah is greater than anything and everything in the world. And if we are with Him, then we become greater than anything and everything with Allah. And it is not the opinions of the people in the world that decide who you are and what you are. It's your relationship with Allah that decides who you are and what you are. And we have to have the strength to believe that and then we can go through this life without anxiety and without fear and without all of the difficulties and conflicts and chaos that the world brings into every situation. And they bring it into situations sometimes in the name of God. Sometimes in the name of religion. Sometimes in the name of justice. And all of these things are lies. And we have to be smart enough to be able to see the lies. There is no one religion. There is only Allah. There is only our choice to choose Allah or not Allah. La ilaha, not Allah. Ilallah, Allah. La ilaha, not Allah. Ilallah, Allah. And to make that our permanent choice, we need to repeat it every day. So in addition to all of your other prayers, you also need to meditate on La ilaha illallah. Islam has a meditation. And that is the meditation. Not Allah, me. Yes, Allah, haq, reality. And in that meditation, we change. That is the core of change. The word in Arabic, kum, which means be. And as you do la ilaha illallah, Allah says kum, be, be like me. This is, this is, this was the prayer of the Ketubs. This was the prayer of the Prophets. This is the intention of Allah. And who are we? We are the ones who can fulfill the Ketubs' intentions. We are the ones who can fulfill Allah's intentions. And how do we do that? By becoming like them and by disappearing from the world, entering into reality. And so, when we remember them, what is it that we should be remembering? That they separated themselves from the world. That they were able to transcend the world. That they were able to overcome the slings, as Shakespeare said, the slings of arrows and arrows that are constantly thrown at the ones who tell the truth. The crucifixion story is one of the penultimate stories of being able to overcome everything that's thrown at you. Um, 
whether Christ was crucified or not, the story makes that example, and it makes it very clear. We need to be able to bear the, 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 the crucifixion of the world. We need to be able to be remove ourselves from the nails that bind us to the world. Because the elements are constantly trying to bind us to the world and insist that they have some kind of control over us. And they don't, and they shouldn't. But where can we find that space that allows us to be free? We find that space in our own meditation. We find that space when we can get to a quiet place that's hidden where we're no longer seen by the world, but where we're only seen by Allah. I was in a mosque in uh, the northern part of Turkey, uh, where the founder of the Halvati Order of Sufism uh, set up his uh, dervishes. And uh, it was a two-floor mosque. On the bottom, they would have their services, and the prayers, and afterwards they would go upstairs. And upstairs there was a balcony, and behind the balcony there was a huge semicircle consisting of doors, one door after the other. There must have been 30 or 40 or 50 doors there. And if you open up the door, the door was about six foot deep, I'm sorry, the, the, the room behind the door was about six foot deep and about three foot wide. Something like a grave. And they would walk into those little rooms and close the doors and sit and meditate. Hidden from the world. Yet within the glory that is God. We need to be able to find that little space where we are hidden from the world, yet can be found in the glory of Allah. And it can be done for each of us. And this should be our intention, and this should be the reason for our existence. We have been brought here to know our Lord. We have been brought here to become like the ones who teach us about our Lord. We have been brought here to become connected to our Lord, and then our life is a success. May that happen for each of us. May we save our souls with the help of Allah's grace, and then may we be able to take what we've learned and hand it over to somebody else. May it be so. Amin, amin. Ya Rabbil Alameen. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.